I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, January 29th, 2024, the 1,104th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the show for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, as we get started, I just want to begin with a caveat. Obviously, I don't like devoting a whole lot of time on this show to mainstream culture or pop culture. That's not what this show is about. And mainstream pop culture is predominantly a distraction and genuinely a sideshow. It is often totally contrived and represents 
an organic reality the same way that a reality television show might, which is to say almost not at all. Reality television shows often feature characters who went through a casting process. They were chosen for a particular show based on how they look, where they're from, what their attitude is like, how well they can improvise drama in any situation, and their ability to seem natural while doing so. We have the sense that someone just put a camera in the room with a bunch of people who are interacting in the way they would normally interact, but that's not it. The scenes are carefully set up, as are the tensions and the dramas that will play out. Obviously, all of the characters go through extensive hair and makeup and styling. Their lines are often scripted. And the truth is that even if none of that was true, even if they were really just filming people going about their daily business and trying to make their way in the world while dealing with other people who have their own interests that might end up in conflict. We're still not watching them go about these things live. The episodes are edited to focus on those tense and dramatic moments, the interpersonal conflicts, and that's how they're presented to the public. And then in the mix, they add in all sorts of brand sponsorships, product placements, and even got to the point with the Kardashians kind of leading the way to where they create brands for the characters on the reality television show. And they pretend that the brand and the creation of that brand, the creation of the products are all the result of the creativity and thoughtfulness and business acumen and hard work of the character on television when they're nothing of the sort. The brands are put together and then the partnership is created with the television character. That television character's only role is to lend their brand appeal, their personal brand, to that product. And then there are mass marketing campaigns to pitch that product to the fans of that television character so that the people watching the show will then purchase the product to feel like they are in some way related to that television character. They want to feel like their life in some way is similar to that character on television. And this has become a very successful business model because there is almost no production cost, almost no production value. You just take a camera crew, do some makeup, put some people in some outfits, tell them generally what to say, and then they just go about doing it. And the fans of the shows get all wrapped up in the interpersonal drama. They feel like they're friends with the people on camera. They feel like the people on camera are talking to them and describing their real lives, their pains, their sorrows, their joys to the viewer watching at home. And there's something in people's brains that leads them to believe there is a real kinship there. The feeling that somehow your life on your couch mirrors Kim Kardashian's life on television or the person who is winning Survivor or American Idol. Or you feel like maybe you might get along really well with one of the judges of The Masked Singer. They display a heightened sense of reality, a life better than the one you can have that they will allow you to participate in, which is what makes the enterprise so effective. I wrote nearly two years ago now 
a long series called A Story About Reality. You can find it on the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can also find audio recordings of that series on Substack. Just type in A Story About Reality into the search bar. But I talked about how the television news was essentially a reality show as well. We think that they are showing us real things, organic events, and that they are honest in their portrayal of these events. They are telling us the truth about something that really happened in the world. They're bringing us video of that event. They're bringing us analysis of that event by people who are familiar with that event. They'll have more knowledge of what is happening there than we could possibly have. I mean, after all, they are the news. They have the ability to understand things about real world events that we simply don't since we are not the news. We get our information from the news. They give us the information that puts them in a position of authority relative to us. They are able to get close to that situation where we are not. And so we generally believe what they're saying. And even if we understand that we can't believe all of what they're saying, we assume that they must still be telling us about a real event. We know we can't trust them. We know that their values do not reflect our values. So we certainly wouldn't agree with them about the meaning they extract from the event. But we assume that the event itself must be real. What we are watching is still something real. And unfortunately, we have to deal with these unreliable narrators, these unreliable reporters, people who are telling us the story about this real event. We can't believe them 100%, but the event itself is real. And we believe that's the purpose of the news, to show us what's really going on in the world. And I argued in that piece that the news is no different than reality television. While they might be showing us things that they are able to extract from the real world, there is no guarantee that that is true. And regardless, they're making up the story about what's happening in the real world, about that event. And they can make up that story so profusely that the event itself becomes totally secondary to the point where what they're telling us doesn't even require the reality of the underlying event. They could be making the entire thing up. And because it's the news, we would still think there must be something true there in the same way that fans of reality television draw a distinction between reality television and scripted television. They understand that Game of Thrones is fictional, but they think that the Kardashians are showing us their real lives. Now, to the extent that that's true at all, it's only because their real life is attempting to reflect what's on the show so that all throughout their day, they are still doing some aspect of that show. They are still on display. They are still projecting a certain attitude and living a certain lifestyle that other people will attach to and then ultimately pay for. Reality television is in many ways a modernized and more effective version of a soap opera. It leads the viewer to believe that in some sense, the viewer is participating in the broader world of the character on television. And the audience follows along with the drama as if it's drama from their own lives. And in the acting out of that drama and the resolution of that drama... The audience is led to construct an emotional false reality about how similar situations might play out in their lives, which leads people not only to seek out those same kinds of dramas, but to act them out themselves. 
Now, all of that is very strange, but it's also very easy to exploit. The Kardashian women, as we're often told, are all billionaires. And for what? Kim Kardashian's mother released a sex tape of her daughter having sex with a rapper. That is what made them so famous initially, at least aside from the fact that the father, Robert Kardashian, was an OJ lawyer. They are rich and famous because they act out totally contrived drama on reality television while selling people, almost all of whom are women, products and a lifestyle that allows them to imagine they are rich and famous too. They get to date celebrities too. But the thing is, once it's all gotten to this point, it's not that they're just able to sell makeup lines and women's underwear or the joys of yoga pants or Pilates classes or tell you the best restaurants to go to with your professional athlete boyfriend. It's that they can indoctrinate their audiences with entire belief systems. They change the language people use to relate to one another. The influence of gay culture, for instance, over the last 20 years is in large part thanks to reality television. They even pitch alternative spiritualities. So it is no surprise whatsoever that they would also end up pitching political views. And this is far more effectively done through reality television than, say, having the star of Game of Thrones or the young stars of Stranger Things, or some other major hit scripted television show pitching political ideas. Because the audience doesn't care what those people do outside of their show. They care about those actors as the characters they are in the show they like. But those actors don't want to be left out. They want to be taken seriously for their political views. And so the best way to do that is by becoming friends with the academics and the media figures and the political actors who all want to be celebrities. The celebrities want to be taken seriously. They want a voice in the public conversation. And the people who are involved in the public conversation want to be celebrities. So they just exchange aspects of their personal brands with one another. And while all of this was more subtle in the past, during the Obama era, this became what politics was all about. Barack Obama in 2008 had a very well orchestrated celebrity outreach campaign that was run in Hollywood by people I worked with. And that was 16 years ago. It has only grown and accelerated since. Now, many of those Obama people moved over to Bernie Sanders in 2016 before eventually reverting and settling with Hillary Clinton. But their jobs specifically were to do outreach to celebrities in Hollywood on behalf of the campaign and hope to involve those celebrities in the campaign, having them help disseminate the marketing and promotional materials on behalf of the campaign, making all of it look totally natural, as if it was part of their lifestyle. It was part of their natural belief system to support someone like Barack Obama. And with the cluelessness of people in Hollywood, including myself, by the way, at the time, it legitimately was part of our natural lifestyle. 2008 Hollywood, Barack Obama was one of the coolest trends to be participating in during that time. And of course, all of this was capitalized on social media, which, again, itself 
was another part of the added effectiveness and the acceleration and the growth of this trend. Social media allowed us to imagine that these celebrities were more than happy to share their quote unquote real lives with their fan base. And again, there's some extent to which this is true. Their real lives are genuinely 100% dedicated to creating a personal brand and a public image and constantly curating all the aspects of that brand and image. And if you live a life of unimaginable access and luxury and wealth and status and privilege, you don't want to seem like the person saying, let them eat cake. You want to seem like someone who is deeply in touch with the lives of the normal people who continue pushing all their money toward these various celebrities. Now, again, all of this is portrayed to the American public as though it is real and authentic. And if you ask these celebrities what their views are, they will repeat the views they project on social media. And if you try to find out what's underneath that, if you prod them about their views, if you try to figure out what it is that makes them tick and how they reached the views they've reached, you'll find no answers. They will make the same emotional justifications that you might hear on an MSNBC evening show, along with some statistics that they've been told to memorize that prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that everyone else besides them really is racist. They will memorize and repeat all of the slogans they're asked to memorize and repeat. They will represent all those views as their own, as though they are the product of deep consideration based on all the facts and all the history they know so well. And then they'll tell you that they know this or that writer at the Atlantic or the New York Times. They make friends with people like the Washington Post's Taylor Lorenz, the woman we heard from at the end of Friday's episode, and all the lines between what is real and authentic and what is incentivized and repeated become totally blurred to the point where many of these celebrities have absolutely no idea what they think about anything. Now, as you may have heard me discuss on this show before, or maybe on Badlands before, I had a 15-some-odd-year-long career in Hollywood working at hospitality venues to brand their public image, to bring celebrities to those venues to help cultivate the brand of the venue as a high-profile sort of place where A-list actors might show up, for instance, or musicians and writers and directors might hang out drinking whiskey, that sort of thing. Bars, restaurants, hotels, nightclubs. And then I did outreach for corporate events. And what that involved was getting celebrities and influencers and tastemakers and the young and hip and fashionable to attend launch parties for a video game or an electronic device or a charity or a movie premiere or whatever it might be. Those brands would pay people like me. And then eventually they began just paying the celebrities to come and take pictures on the red carpet with whatever product they were releasing. They would send SUVs to pick the celebrities up at their homes and bring them to the event. And they would have that driver for the evening so that when they left the event, they could go wherever they wanted with their friends for the rest of the night. Just take the driver. He's yours. And he'll make sure that you get home at the end of the night. They're given gift bags, sometimes worth thousands of dollars. The goal was to get the celebrity there, photograph them with the product, 
and associate the personal brand of the celebrity with the brand or product or organization sponsoring the event. Now, over the years, the number of those style of events each year continued decreasing because a lot of what the corporation or the brand hoped to gain from those kinds of events could be gained simply through associating with celebrities on social media and getting them to represent the products on there. And so for a few years in the 20 teens, I was working with a social media management company whose role was to represent celebrities, actors, athletes, musicians on social media and bring them brand deals to supplement the income that they would be getting from their main careers, as well as creating those brand partnerships where they would actually take an ownership stake in the company. The sort of deal you would see one of the Kardashian sisters taking the sort of deal that has made them quote unquote billionaires. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but there are a great many celebrities that don't do their own social media. They will speak to the public in their voice from their social media profiles without ever touching their social media profiles. Now, no doubt there are plenty of celebrities who do all of their own social media and they have their heads down all day, staring at their phone, interacting on social media, making sure that their brand is taken care of perfectly all day long. But there are a great many that don't. And they have social media managers whose job it is to enhance their brand. They plan a posting schedule. They'll have photographs taken and they will write the captions of posts and even interact with fans all in the voice and character of the celebrity. The social media managers can interact with the social media platforms. If the celebrity is big enough, then you can reach out directly to the talent people at Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or wherever the help might be needed. The job is primarily public relations, but the quote unquote talent will also develop a relationship with their social media manager. It becomes kind of a quasi personal assistant in the social media realm. And the goal is to create a social media brand for that person that other brands or organizations will want to associate with. You raise your profile on social media, which allows you to monetize social media. And it also hopefully opens up new opportunities in whatever field happens to be that celebrity, that musician, that actor's normal industry. Now, as the lines between the authentic self of that celebrity and the projected public image, the curated lifestyle, the repetition of the proper slogans. As those lines are blurred, we also have the lines blurred between politics and celebrity. And at this point, all of it is kind of the same thing. We deal with this quasi reality projected through social media and through other forms of mass media. And then we have talent celebrities living their real lives in a way that reflects the curation and the branded life that they have built up for themselves on behalf of brands and organizations. And now, of course, political viewpoints over my last few years in Hollywood. One of the things that had shocked me the most when you think it can't get any worse and then it does one of the things that shocked me the most was that I noticed people going to places 
specifically so that they could create social media content in those places. A coffee shop, for instance, would become the new hip spot where everybody has to go because the place had Instagrammable backgrounds. People would choose their activities throughout the day. They would choose who to hang out with and where to go based on how all of that would look on social media and how it would enhance their personal brand. Are the people they're spending time with going to help them project their curated brand on social media, thus leading people to believe, hey, this is the sort of normal life this person has. People were making their decisions about how to lead their lives, who to have relationships with, where to go to eat, where to go work out. All of these things were part of this curated personal brand that exists on social media, and they were actually living their lives for the benefit of what they could display on social media. It went way past the point where people were only displaying those aspects of their life that made them look really good and really special and really important. People realized that the easiest way to make themselves actually seem really good and special and important was to figure out what would make them look that way on social media and then live a life that included all of that. So they went from fictionalizing the reality of their lives to then trying to make the reality of their lives correspond to that developing fiction in the most heightened way they could. They would curate all the elements of their brand and then live a life that corresponded to that curation. And so then in 2020, all of these things finally combined. And I talked about this stuff through 2020 and talked about it openly in Hollywood as many of my friends were getting paid massive sums of money to promote lifestyles and viewpoints that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt they did not live and they did not represent. People were getting paid more than the average American will make in an entire year to post one photo of themselves doing something that the regime demands in the political realm to help them push their agenda. And a couple of the big things, obviously, everyone understands and knows masking, mail-in voting, and specifically Mark Zuckerberg's drop boxes. And then, of course, the vaccine. Celebrities were being paid to push all of these things as good. And you might say, yeah, but many of those celebrities actually believed all those things. They believed in masking. They believed in dropping their mail-in ballot in a Mark Zuckerberg drop box with their vote for Joe Biden. They believed in getting the vaccine for COVID. And maybe to some extent they did, but they just didn't live that way because the people who were posting about masking on social media would still get together with their small friend circle, their little pod, and they would not wear masks at their house when they got together with their six friends, just a few couples they really like hanging out with. They form their pod of six people or eight people or 10 people, and they all pretend that they don't have any other pods and that they don't go visit other people, but of course they do. And at the same time, if you ask them whether it was important to wear masks and whether masks worked, they would say yes to both of those questions. They just wouldn't live in a way that matched that. And they were incentivized to push those views publicly, either financially or otherwise, because they wanted to associate with certain brands and certain political viewpoints 
as those were crafted into status symbols. And of course, to maintain this image, they had to make sure that people expressing the opposite viewpoints would have nothing to do with them. And that's where I came in. But this is not about me. There was a project in 2020 called Defeat Disinfo. The project was led by General Stanley McChrystal. And the goal of the operation was to execute social media manipulation strategies that had been used in the Middle East to quote unquote defeat terrorism. And obviously knowing the regime, what that means was leading color revolutions. You of course have heard about the effect of social media on the so-called Arab Spring. Those military information operations were turned around and directed at the American public. And then there were PR firms and celebrity relations firms like Main Street One, whose role was to do the same sort of outreach that I used to do, but now superpowered and specifically for political manipulation. And you combine that, of course, with the constant censorship and the propaganda, and you have a very, very powerful information weapon to influence the thinking of the whole population. And of course, why stop at celebrities? They expanded their programs to what they call micro-influencers, people with relatively small followings, but people whose following pays attention to them, engages with them, and will often follow their lead when it comes to purchasing decisions or the sort of lifestyle that they too wish to project. With enough money and enough data and with the proper organization, you can essentially make sure that everyone on social media is getting fed the same messaging and not just by the same sources, but by sources they themselves choose to associate with, by people whose lives or even whose fashion they want to emulate. And when you add in the censorship factors and the punishment structure within the party of false decorum, which exists in its full glory on social media, to the point where anyone with conflicting viewpoints is afraid to even speak up for fear of not only the censorship, but of shame campaigns being directed at them from everyone else who is under the spell or even part of the info op. And again, of course, I can attest to being on the business end of that one as well. So the lines become blurred between fiction and reality. Initially, reality is enhanced with elements of fiction. And then we get to the point where the reality actually has to follow the fiction. The fiction leads, the curation of the lifestyle becomes the goal and the life is lived to fulfill the needs of the curation. And as we discussed, there is no necessity whatsoever for there to be anything real underlying any of what's displayed. There is no way the COVID pandemic narrative would have been successful without this aspect on social media. No way anyone would have believed that Joe Biden could have received 81 million real lawful American votes without social media. No way the vaccine campaign would have been so pervasive and successful without social media. No way the Ukraine war would have worked without social media. And the list goes on and on and on. And not to go deeply into this, but it would be a shame not to mention the fact that all of the followers engaging in some celebrities' content could absolutely just be bots and no one would know it. 
if an account had 5 million followers and 4.9 million of those followers were bots, no one in the general public would understand that. You would just see a 5 million follower Instagram account with X number of likes and a certain level of engagement with no requirement whatsoever that any of that is real either. There is nothing at any step of this process that actually must be real. And we are essentially getting to the point where the celebrity existing isn't even really required. But let's not focus on that. I am not making any claims about the non-existence of any celebrity, certainly not the one we're about to talk about. And of course, that would be Taylor Swift. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, I don't care about Taylor Swift at all, I would generally agree with you. I don't listen to Taylor Swift's music. I find her entire brand annoying and fake. Major aspects of her personal story, the claim that she writes all her own music, a lot of that is just nonsense. But when they give us characters like this, they have to convince us that these characters really are the best at what they do. It's not good enough that someone else writes Taylor Swift's music and she just performs it. It has to be Taylor Swift's music and it has to be about her own personal life. It has to be her authentic personality and experience that shines through in her music because part of her personal brand is that sort of authenticity. But now we as a nation are being subjected to a massive and obvious psyop. It was one thing to mix a pop star with a professional athlete, something we've seen countless times. But now we have a pop star mixed with a professional athlete, both of them selling the regime agenda, a political element involved now on full display and written up today in the New York Times, and the very real, very legitimate sport of NFL football will now feature this psyop as the centerpiece of this year's Super Bowl, which is itself a psyop. But before we get into that, let's go back to 2020 and see how this thing has developed over the years. This is NBC News from October 7th of 2020. Taylor Swift endorses Joe Biden for president. Swift had largely stayed out of politics before 2018 out of fear of isolating her audience. Well, now she no longer cares because, as celebrities always do, she decided that it was just so important that she uses her voice and her platform to have a positive impact on American politics. Taylor Swift fans have known all too well by now who she's voting for in November, and the pop singer made it official on Wednesday by endorsing Democratic nominee Joe Biden. So apt that it's come out on the night of the VP debate, Swift said to her more than 87 million followers. Going to be watching and supporting Kamala Harris by yelling at the TV a lot. She spoke to V Magazine's Thought Leaders issue and wished that her vote for the Biden-Harris ticket will help start the nation's quote-unquote healing process. Swift said Biden's message is one of healing and that it advocates for women, the LGBTQ community and people of color. The change we need most is to elect a president who recognizes that people of color deserve to feel safe and represented. 
that women deserve the right to choose what happens to their bodies and that the LGBTQIA plus community deserves to be acknowledged and included, she told the magazine. Do those sound like the thoughts of a real normal person? Of course not, especially not a person who used to stay out of politics. But the article addresses that. Swift has previously stayed out of politics in fear of isolating her audience. But in 2018, Swift made her political debut when she endorsed former Tennessee Governor Phil Bredesen, a Democrat in the Senate race against Republican candidate Marsha Blackburn. Taylor Swift did not have the ability to sway a Tennessee Senate race, even with 87 million totally real followers. Bredesen lost the race, but Swift remained politically vocal since. In the past, I've been reluctant to publicly voice my political opinions, but due to several events in my life and in the world in the past two years, I feel very differently about that now, she said in 2018 on social media. I have always and will always cast my vote based on which candidate will protect and fight for the human rights I believe we all deserve in this country. And apparently one of those is not free speech, as of course she supports the regime doing the censorship. In August, the blank space artist criticized President Donald Trump and the ongoing threat of COVID-19. Donald Trump's ineffective leadership gravely worsened the crisis that we are in, and he is now taking advantage of it to subvert and destroy our right to vote and vote safely, Swift said in an August 15th tweet. Request a ballot early. Vote early. Joe Biden thanked Swift for her endorsement on Twitter and added, Election Day is right around the corner. Are you ready for it? So Taylor Swift and Joe Biden both have real, authentic affection for one another. Taylor Swift is endorsing Joe Biden, the old racist pervert who was mentored in politics for three decades by a Klan leader on the basis that he will protect human rights and the rights of women and the LGBTQIA plus community. That Joe Biden and Joe Biden, who absolutely does not do his social media, no one would ever trust him to do that. He wrote back to Taylor Swift as if they're just buddies and Taylor's down with that. I mean, what's cooler than being buddies with a fake president before he's even able to steal his election? Taylor Swift is right out there letting the American people and all her young, impressionable female followers that our elections are free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results accurately reflect the will and intent of the American voter, despite having absolutely no idea about that because she is a fully controlled asset of the regime and of corporations. If she wants to remain rich and famous, she has to continue doing what she's told. Too many people have invested too much time and too much money making her this rich and famous, making her all that is Taylor Swift to allow her to simply stop doing any of this stuff. She is a valuable commodity that still controls the minds of millions of young and impressionable people in this country. And I don't say that lightly. There is a set of young people who will do whatever Taylor Swift tells them to do because it is part of their identity, part of their personal creation of social status to be massive Taylor Swift fans. So Taylor Swift 
was always out of politics. And then in 2018, she just got into politics a little bit. And then in 2020, she got into politics a lot. And then after Joe Biden won, well, of course, now you can take a break. Your job is done. But here we are in 2024. And that job's got to get done again, because if she wants to stay rich and famous, well, then the people who run everything for her have to stay in power. And the Taylor Swift brand is a pretty powerful weapon. They can't afford not to use it. So, of course, they are going to use it to its maximum capacity, which brings us to this unfolding psyop that we have all been unwittingly and unwillingly drafted into. If we won't accept our role as supporters of Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and the NFL and ultimately Joe Biden, well, then we end up participating as the controlled opposition. And the regime is totally fine with that. They need the controlled opposition or else all of the Swifties wouldn't feel like they're fighting to protect Taylor Swift and her honor and her chance at love with Travis Kelsey and the country that she believes we all really deserve. So a few months ago, she shows up in a luxury box at a Kansas City Chiefs game to cheer on Travis Kelsey, the tight end of the Kansas City Chiefs, an extremely talented football player who has a brother who's a professional football player. They have a podcast together. And Travis Kelsey is also one of the most valuable media commodities in the NFL. He sells all sorts of products. He has millions of dollars a year in endorsements with companies everyone's aware of. Experian, the credit analyst company. Accelerator Active Energy. The big box hardware store, Lowe's, Campbell's Chunky Soup, DirecTV, Tide, Old Spice, T-Mobile, Sleep Number Beds, Hy-V Supermarkets, and then some more controversial companies like Colin Kaepernick's Nike. You know, Nike, that sneaker company with the factories in China, that sneaker company that kind of innovated the field of professional athlete endorsements with Michael Jordan back in the late 80s and early 90s, Dick's Sporting Goods, who made headlines last year due to their commitment to fly Dick's Sporting Goods employees around the country to sanctuary states for abortion for whenever they needed their abortions, Bud Light, who had to deal with the problem of the creepy little guy on their beer can, and then last but certainly not least, Pfizer. And if you watched the NFL at all during this season, saw any Kansas City Chiefs game, you've probably seen Travis Kelsey on the field. And then when they go to commercial, you see Travis Kelsey in half the commercials they show. The Pfizer commercial being probably the most prevalent and obviously the worst. The commercial was encouraging everyone to go out and get multiple shots. Travis Kelsey represented this with two little band-aids on his shoulder, one of them blue and one of them that light skin color, almost like it was their own little Ukraine flag on Travis Kelsey's shoulder with his vaccine bandages. Now, it didn't take long for most people to realize that something was amiss here. Something didn't seem quite natural. But to all those people who are still asleep, which includes absolutely everyone in Taylor Swift's audience, all of this seemed natural and cool. America loves its celebrities. America loves the superstar athlete dating the prom queen. 
And Taylor Swift, at least in pop culture consideration, is essentially America's prom queen. It was a tabloid relationship match made in heaven or hell. But now it can clearly be seen as exactly what we deserved. Now, there was some controversy a couple of weeks ago. Fox News host Jesse Waters hinted that Taylor Swift may be part of a Defense Department Pentagon PSYOP. And for this, of course, he was labeled a conspiracy theorist. Forbes covered it this way in an article called Why Conspiracy Theorists Think Taylor Swift is a Pentagon PSYOP from January 10th. Waters played a clip from a NATO conference, but didn't give any necessary context to his viewers about what they were watching. And Waters seems to think Swift's popularity in itself is a sign of some dark forces pulling strings behind the scenes. Now, of course, in normie world, no one understands how any of this actually works. So I am certain that this Forbes writer really thinks all of this is natural and organic. Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, there's some story out there for sure about how they met and how they just totally hit it off and their friends are friends with each other now. It's all extremely real, according to this normie at Forbes. So here's how Jesse Waters explained what had happened. He said, well, around four years ago, the Pentagon Psychological Operations Unit floated turning Taylor Swift into an asset during a NATO meeting. What kind of asset? A PSYOP for combating online misinformation. Waters then played a heavily edited clip of a presentation given by an academic suggesting there was some nefarious reason Swift and her music are so popular. And the truth is there are many nefarious reasons, not least of which is the manipulation of certain algorithms, most particularly the Spotify algorithm, but also social media algorithms as well. Just as there is no need for 81 million real lawful American votes to exist in order for them to tell us Joe Biden received that many, there is no need for Taylor Swift's audience to have been built organically. And of course it wasn't. Taylor Swift is a highly successful marketing campaign primarily. And this isn't something new. This isn't the first time a pop star has been used to psyop the American public. Just look at the Beatles. Sorry, Beatles fans. It's just true. But back to the normie at Forbes. But what's actually going on here? Something much more nuanced and less sensationalistic than what Waters is telling his audience. The woman in the clip, Alicia Marie Barger, was giving a presentation about research she'd conducted with her team at Johns Hopkins University about how information spreads online. Barger was presenting at the 11th International Conference on Cyber Conflict organized by NATO in 2019, though she's a civilian and has no known contracts or relationship with the U.S. military. Barger is an academic who is simply presenting her research at a conference on how information travels through social media. The entire presentation from 2019 is available on YouTube, and it's clear from the introduction that Barger's presentation is about hypothetical scenarios for how information can be manipulated. Barger uses Taylor Swift as an example, clearly because she's the biggest pop star in the world right now. The first one and the most common example of influence is working with famous people or influencers to share information of a particular message. 
I include Taylor Swift in here because she's a fairly influential online person. I don't know if you've heard of her, Barger said jokingly. Barger goes on to explain that Swift was standing next to a sign promoting voting in the most general way possible. The image from the presentation is a screenshot from an Instagram post showing Swift waiting in line back in 2016 to vote. The caption from the picture on Taylor Swift's Instagram said, Today is the day. Go out and vote us. I don't know what that means. 1.2 million likes on that photo. That's it. Barger wasn't saying that anyone should use Swift as a way to influence public opinion on any given topic, just that she's an example of a famous person with influence who once gave a generic go vote message to her fans on Instagram. The writer describes more of Jesse Waters presentation and then writes again. This is all speculation with virtually nothing grounded in reality. The video of Barger's full presentation is quite interesting, showing how researchers are able to identify various threats like social media accounts associated with the terror group ISIS. That means they can figure out what all social media accounts are associated with, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, of course it does. Barger also notes during her presentation that her influence operations are often inspired by how public health messages operate, a subject that was obviously less controversial in 2019 before the COVID-19 pandemic would become a political football. See that she was talking about public health influence campaigns in 2019 before COVID was even a real thing. Isn't that just amazing? And she's at Johns Hopkins University, who just, of course, coincidentally produced from their Center of Public Health Security, the SPARS 2025 pandemic narrative. They essentially wargamed how the pandemic rollout would go. They compiled that document, if memory serves, back in 2017. And the rollout of the COVID narrative basically played out the way Johns Hopkins had described in that document. But of course, it's only coincidental that they were discussing public health messaging and celebrity influencers in 2019 before COVID even started. And of course, COVID, as we know, came from the Wuhan wet market after a virus laden bat had been somehow retrieved from a cave. That was all 100% natural and random. So, of course, they weren't planning for those circumstances here at this meeting in 2019. And because Taylor Swift was only offered up as a hypothetical, there's absolutely no way that upon offering up this idea, anybody could have actually followed through and signed Taylor Swift up to carry out this psyop. Now, as I said before, of course, it's not only Taylor Swift who is involved in these sorts of ops. And it's not only celebrities. They go through all the celebrities, of course, but then they also target micro-influencers. It could be a community leader or a church pastor or even a local mommy blogger. They just want to know the person has an audience and that audience generally does what the person suggests. The normie at Forbes who goes by the name Matt Novak goes on to discuss how conspiracy theorists had been suggesting that the Taylor Swift psyop would become political. That, of course, again, is a conspiracy theory. And the author ends the article this way. Call me crazy, but if I was going to run a psychological influence operation with a major celebrity, I probably wouldn't produce a video about that exact possibility. And hey, Matt Novak, 
I'm not going to call you crazy for thinking that. I'm going to call you retarded because that stuff happens all the time and they don't actually need to hide it. And you have just shown us why they don't need to hide it because some retarded person at a mainstream media outlet will come out and tell us that things like this are conspiracy theories, even if they're happening right in front of everyone's faces. Matt Novak seems to be one of their leading debunkers of conspiracy theorists. Here are some more articles by Matt Novak. Elon Musk claims calling someone cisgender is heterophobic. Elon Musk feeds viral conspiracy theory that Patriot Front are actually feds. Well, who are Patriot Front then? How come the media hasn't figured out who all of these masked white supremacists are when they're marching around cities in their little matching outfits? And he also wrote an entire article about how Ron DeSantis used a fake Winston Churchill quote in his capitulation video. So, hey, maybe Matt Novak isn't all bad, but that is what is considered a debunking these days. Call a claim a conspiracy theory. List a few reasons that might lead people to doubt the legitimacy of that conspiracy theory and then just pretend it's the end of the story and there's no way the normie could ever actually be wrong. Now, from the normie perspective, the only thing that would allow you to say that Taylor Swift is indeed an asset in a psyop would be documentation, records of payments from the Department of Defense or NATO or something directly to Taylor Swift. But of course, that's not how that would ever work. Or emails from Taylor Swift's people to the people who would be hired to run these media ops. But of course, nobody's going to get those emails. And that sort of documentation genuinely does not matter. Despite the fact that we've been convinced it's the only thing that matters. You can't say something unless you have documented evidence of that thing being true. That's not how life works. You can say whatever it is you think. There is overwhelming circumstantial evidence that Taylor Swift is executing some sort of information op that she is not coordinating. She is not just going about her natural organic life and all of these things are happening. It's insane to think otherwise as a normal person. And if you know how any of this stuff works or have been personally around it, which I do and I have, it is absolutely the most probable explanation for this situation. You're actually not required to be able to prove something beyond a shadow of a doubt to anyone who challenges you in order to maintain an opinion or a perspective or an understanding about how the world works. And we all actually need to be able to do that to operate in the world. Otherwise, what we're doing all day long is trusting whatever is handed down to us from authority. And of course, when we comply with the regime's standards for belief formation, we actually help them push their agenda forward. On Friday, one of the major news outlets in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, published an article by one of their sports opinion writers, a guy named Mark Madsen. His column addressed the idea of chiefs fatigue, like the country just getting sick of the Kansas City Chiefs. And he had an interesting discussion in here about some of what's happening with that team and with the Taylor Swift connection. 
And I want to hit a few spots in this article. He writes, the theory of Chiefs fatigue is that everybody outside of their own fan base is sick to death of the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. In other words, they are the new New England Patriots. Minus the spy equipment, deflated footballs, curmudgeonly coach and murderous tight end, of course. A less hateable version of the Patriots, sure, but quickly fading from new, fresh and fun to become tedious and overexposed. Like Tom Brady, when he was with the Pats, they've got the golden boy quarterback you aren't allowed to touch. Patrick Mahomes and head coach Andy Reid are in every commercial. They are all overplayed. You've got Travis Kelsey, the star goofball tight end like Rob Gronkowski. That's in any commercial Mahomes didn't get and even some together intentionally playing up the meathead jock persona. Plus, you've got another network television significant other and cutaway queen in the luxury box. In this case, Taylor Swift is out Giselling Giselle Bunchen by about a million to one. She gets more airtime than the opposing quarterback week to week. So that is already a very apt and interesting comparison. The Chiefs now are the new New England Patriots. You had Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen alongside star tight end Rob Gronkowski, the kind of aloof meathead type. Now you've got Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback, and you've got Travis Kelsey, the aloof meathead star tight end dating the most famous pop star in America. He goes on. Not only are they becoming the Patriots of the 2000s, they are becoming the LA Lakers of the 1980s and the Yankees of the 1920s. Obviously, everybody outside of Kansas City hates them, but we are always going to watch them. The NFL needs teams like that. The NFL is always better with teams like that. It is a league built for parity, but somebody has to stand out. The Packers of the 60s begat the Steelers of the 70s, who begat the 49ers of the 80s, who begat the entire NFC East of the 90s, who begat the Patriots of the 2000s. If it wasn't for teams like the Chiefs, the whole league would be nameless gray faces that win divisions with 11 wins one year and miss the playoffs with nine wins the next. He goes into a brief talk about how it seems like the league is giving an advantage and undue advantage to the Chiefs in their games, and then writes, The NFL is so openly ratings conscious, so blatantly pandering to all things television, that they have even messed with the sanctity of the playoff schedule to the point of squeezing in a Monday night game in the first round to get one extra primetime rake. In the regular season, some teams are getting multiple Thursday night games. So when you see eye-popping ratings like the ones Swift seems to generate from the previously untapped demographic of young females merely by her presence for a handful of camera shots at Chiefs games, I can't blame fans for wondering, is the fix in? Does the NFL just want the Chiefs to win all the time so they can constantly be on TV? That's to say nothing of the NFL's now openly symbiotic relationship with the gambling industry which also has to love increased action whenever the Chiefs are on TV. According to Casino.org, there was a boost in bets on Chiefs games and bets on Travis Kelsey's props ever since he started dating Swift. I'm not accusing the NFL of being crooked. I'm just telling you a lot of fans are starting to wonder if the level is tilted whenever the Chiefs happen to be playing. So those are a lot of external considerations for the NFL. If you've watched 
any professional sports in the last few years, you will understand that professional sports now are essentially just the spoonful of sugar used to shove the rest of their false reality creation down your throat. The commercials project a reality of an America that does not exist. The entire production is absolutely just an assault on your senses and any sense of normalcy or morality you might have. The idea that Travis Kelsey is out there shilling for Pfizer shots while the country is realizing that that whole COVID vaccine thing was a really bad idea seems like something from a deep, dark dystopia. And rather than NFL fans thinking about the insanity of that, they're instead just redirected to how cool Travis Kelsey must be to be dating Taylor Swift. And of course, there's story after story about all the young and middle-aged fathers of daughters who finally get to enjoy the NFL with the women in their household. And consider this. A meme went around this morning claiming that Taylor Swift has generated an equivalent brand value of $331.5 million for the Chiefs and the NFL, according to Apex Marketing, including print, digital, radio, TV, highlights, and social dating back to September. That is Taylor Swift's ostensible value to the NFL. This Travis Kelsey relationship and her attendance at football games is said to be responsible for a third of a billion dollars in additional revenue for the NFL this year. Now, while it's definitely true that these numbers as they are compiled are often complete and total bullshit based on social media metrics that cannot be actually proven in reality, they're just kind of industry standards. But regardless of that, there is some massive value add to NFL broadcasts in a real financial sense due to Taylor Swift's presence at these football games during playoff weekends and the constant gossip cycle that follows both her and now Travis Kelsey and the NFL throughout this period. And if she can generate a third of a billion dollars for an already popular brand, in the span of a few short months, how effectively can she convert her ability to amass this much attention into political action from her followers? I mean, consider how deranged this is. We have fathers and daughters coming together to watch football on the couch on Sundays because Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey. So now all these little girls are finally interested in football. What is that interaction going to look like when all of those little girls say to their fathers, dad, are you voting for Joe Biden? Like Taylor Swift says, that's the sort of thing we are all participating in when we choose to consume this stuff. And how about this headline from yesterday in the Daily Mail? Taylor Swift could sway 2024 election outcome. New poll finds with a fifth of voters likely to back candidate endorsed by Singer. The article says, The pop star's stratospheric influence on popular culture may sway the race to the White House, especially as new Gen Z voters joined the electorate this year. In a poll conducted by Redfield and Wilton Strategies for Newsweek, 
18% of voters say they're more likely or significantly more likely to vote for a candidate endorsed by Taylor Swift. Her sway was more visible with voters under the age of 35. This election will see 8 million new voters in the U.S. electorate and a total of 41 million Gen Z voters, many of whom are influenced by celebrities and social media. However, 17% said they would be less likely to vote for a candidate backed by Swift, which could bode badly for Democrat Joe Biden. Although she has never publicly said who she votes for, in 2020, Swift voted to kick Trump out of the White House with her vote. A total of 55% said that they were neutral and wouldn't be swayed either way. They add, her popularity over the last 12 months has reached new highs. She was named Time Magazine's 2023 Person of the Year, led the immensely successful Eras Tour that raked in over a billion dollars and bloomed in her relationship with Travis Kelsey. Communications consultant James Haggerty said she's influenced popular culture, sports, the economics of entire regions of the U.S. Swift is in a class by herself. She's so talented and so popular and so ingrained in pop culture. No one is close to her. Celebrity power in elections has grown because celebrity power itself has grown. And in a world awash in messages, it's the celebrity voices that really resonate. In a world where a reality show star can become president and maybe become president twice, all of this makes perfect sense. And it is funny that they claim Taylor Swift doesn't say who she's voting for, but they also include a tweet of hers from May 29th, 2020, where she says, after stoking the fires of white supremacy and racism your entire presidency, you have the nerve to feign moral superiority before threatening violence. When the looting starts, the shooting starts, question mark, question mark, question mark. We will vote you out in November, real Donald Trump. And that, of course, was about George Floyd dying from a fentanyl overdose while being restrained by a policeman's knee or potentially the entire thing was fake. And so let's get to the New York Times. This is from today. The headline is inside Biden's anti-Trump battle plan and where Taylor Swift fits in. You know, Taylor Swift, the woman who is definitely not part of a psyop. As former President Donald J. Trump speeds toward the Republican nomination, President Biden is moving quickly to pump energy into his reelection bid, kicking off what is likely to be an ugly, dispiriting and historically long slog to November between two unpopular nominees. And of course, that is the narrative being pushed that the country doesn't want either of these men. And that's the narrative you have to run if you are planning to replace Joe Biden so that when you do that and you replace Joe Biden with someone that the country really does want, like a Michelle Obama or a Gavin Newsom or a Hillary Clinton, then you as the media can say to the country, you see that now it's someone the country does want versus that other guy that nobody wants, even though right now that guy is creating record setting victories in primaries. After months of languid buildup in which he only held a single public campaign event, Mr. Biden has thrown a series of rallies across battleground states, warning that democracy itself is at stake in 2024. And no, those actually aren't rallies. That's laughable. The only events that could even sort of be described as rallies are designed 
to create a national issue for 2024 out of abortion. And it's critical to understand why, because the Taylor Swift thing fits right into the same dynamic. And that's that our elections aren't real. And what they need to do is create a story to justify a Democrat win over Donald Trump that the country might actually believe. They don't need Taylor Swift out there creating real votes. They need Taylor Swift as a story to convince the country that she did create real votes. Biden sent two of his most trusted White House operatives to take the helm of his reelection campaign in Wilmington, Delaware, after Mr. Trump seized control of the Republican primary race more rapidly than Mr. Biden's advisors had initially expected. And other Biden aides are drafting wish lists of potential surrogates, including elected officials, social media influencers, and the endorsement of their wildest dreams, the global superstar Taylor Swift. Now let's pause to note that what the New York Times just said right there has every element of the sort of information operation that the normie over at Forbes called a conspiracy theory. The only element it doesn't have so far is the documented proof that Taylor Swift was signed up to that psychological operation. Once again, other Biden aides are drafting wish lists of potential surrogates, including elected officials, social media influencers, and the endorsement of their wildest dreams, the global superstar Taylor Swift. So right now, they are planning who their network of online influencers is going to be. They're recruiting celebrities, influencers, and micro-influencers to run an online information operation just as they did in 2020 and just as they have done since. They now do it by project, election project, COVID project, masking project. These are online ad campaigns featuring advertisements done by online influencers disguised as their personal opinions, but they are being incentivized to disseminate these opinions in properly worded messaging across all their platforms. And you will see key words in their messaging that reflects what they are told to post because there are scripts. When a celebrity is brought on for a social media campaign, the hiring brand will tell them how they want the post to look, what they want the post to show, what key points they want the messaging to address. And then the celebrity will prepare that post or the celebrity's social media manager will prepare that post. They will have conversations between the social media manager and the brand to make sure that that post is exactly what the hiring brand or organization wants it to be. They will sign contracts that deal with exclusivity. The celebrity will not be able to advertise any other product or viewpoint that might conflict with the one they're currently being hired to promote. Skipping down. Unlike in 2020, the president and his team believe that the end of the election will not be in November, but on January 6th, 2025, when Congress will count the electoral college votes. 
Mr. Biden's team is building out a legal strike force in battleground states to prepare for a range of challenges, including matters of basic voting rights, but extending to the certification of the election under the Electoral Count Reform Act, the 2022 federal law that was meant to stave off any repeat of Mr. Trump's attempt to overturn the 2020 election. Democrats have successfully wielded a Trump-centric message, even with the former president out of office, including in the 2022 midterms and more than two dozen elections last year. Now that he looks likely to return to a presidential ticket, and as he continues to shape the direction of Republican politics, top Biden allies see an opening to draw a sharp contrast. And of course, again, all of this analysis assumes that our elections really are free and fair, safe and secure, and that the reported results reflect the will and intent of the American voter. Nothing could be further from the truth. But without that belief, you cannot pretend that Democrats have successfully wielded an anti-Trump message. Trump's popularity has grown every day since sometime in early 2021. The January 6th PSYOP did damage his image for a little while, and it has gotten better ever since. And now Donald Trump is as popular as he has ever been. Skipping down again. To rally the growing number of voters who do not consume news through traditional media, the campaign is trying to reach them on social media with videos from influencers and even those with smaller followings. The campaign has begun discussions with celebrities and social media stars about promoting Mr. Biden on Instagram and TikTok. When Mr. Biden took a fundraising swing through Southern California in December, the campaign carved out time to meet with influencers to pitch them on posting pro-Biden content. There are also plans, first reported Sunday by NBC News, to hold a fundraiser with two Democratic former presidents, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, according to two people familiar with the discussions. And it's also worth noting at this point that they are allowed to pay these celebrities and influencers and micro influencers to run these social media campaigns for them. In fact, they put money into the COVID relief packages in 2020 to allow for that. They actually have money carved out in government programs specifically for public messaging. And this is what they use that money for. They fund social media influence operations. They legitimately give government money to already rich and famous people to propagandize the American public. That's quote unquote, taxpayer money goes into the government. The government then takes that money and redirects it toward the rich and famous so that they can propagandize the taxpayers. That has been happening in this country for years now, and people still don't recognize it. And normies from Forbes and other mainstream media outlets Pretend all of that is a conspiracy theory. There is absolutely nothing conspiratorial about it. Again, they're telling you right here in the pages of the New York Times. And this is something I've been shouting from the rooftops for years. The people who are telling us how to think, how to believe, what to buy, how to live, aren't doing any of that independently. They are advertising to you on behalf of someone else. Back to the New York Times as they finally get into the Taylor Swift section about halfway down the article. 
The biggest and most influential endorsement target is Ms. Swift, 34, the pop sensation and NFL enthusiast who can move millions of supporters with an Instagram post or a mid-concert aside. She endorsed Mr. Biden in 2020 and last year, a single Instagram post of hers led to 35,000 new voter registrations, or so they tell us. The New York Times here links to an article from NPR on September 22nd of last year, the headline, a Taylor Swift Instagram post helped drive a surge in voter registration. And the article claims that Taylor Swift put out this post on National Voter Registration Day and they got 35,000 new registrations, a huge increase, 23% from the year prior with double the number of 18-year-olds registering to vote. Andrea Haley, CEO of Vote.org, called it a highly encouraging sign of voter enthusiasm, especially among young voters who are newly eligible since turning 18. She said time and time again, young people are showing up and demonstrating they care about their rights and access to the ballot box. And it is a sad fact of our totally broken electoral system that the glorification of voter registrations is almost an entirely partisan phenomenon now, and maybe more accurately, a regime phenomenon. And I guess we'll see how the case of the mysterious Scott Pressler works out with his voter registration prioritization. The article in NPR concludes, since its inception in 2012, National Voter Registration Day has been supported by a number of nonprofit voting organizations, such as the League of Women Voters and Headcount which works with musicians to register voters at concerts. Now, the League of Women Voters, as you might imagine, is 100% through and through regime. Influencewatch.org, League of Women Voters. The League of Women Voters, its affiliates, and its associated 501c3 educational arm, the League of Women Voters Education Fund, has received support from major liberal donors such as the Ford Foundation, George Soros's foundation to promote open society, the New York State United Teachers Government Worker Labor Union, and the Tides Foundation. In addition to those, they received funding from the Liberal Joyce Foundation, which once claimed future President Barack Obama as a board member. They also received money from the Carnegie Corporation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. So very regime, very globalist, not remotely nonpartisan and highly involved with National Voter Registration Day. But let's check out Headcount. Headcount has partnered with a wide range of organizations, including music industry companies such as Pandora, Bonnaroo, Coachella and Lollapalooza, as well as left wing nonprofits such as Global Citizen and Black Voters Matter Fund. Headcount has also received donations from the Leaves of Grass Fund. So Taylor Swift is doing political advertisement for National Voter Registration Day, a project that is consistently supported by left-wing, global regime-oriented nonprofits and foundations. Taylor Swift, in addition to the political messaging, of course, she also does brand endorsements for Target and Starbucks. Two major corporations who have been heavily involved with the woke agenda. And of course, Taylor Swift, just like Tom Brady, was heavily involved 
in Sam Bankman Freed's now defunct FTX. CNN last year, Taylor Swift agreed to $100 million deal with FTX before it went bankrupt, but FTX pulled out. So she is essentially fielding all of the offers for everyone and is able to sell her likeness and her supposedly authentic support to all of these various corporations, organizations, causes, etc. And we are supposed to believe that Taylor Swift of her own accord realized that it was National Voter Registration Day and told people to go out and sign up to vote. But let's pop on over to Headcount's website, headcount.org. Here are some of their corporate partners as listed on their website. American Eagle, ASCAP, that's the music publishing organization, Atlantic Records, Ben and Jerry's, Levi Strauss & Company. Oh, that's Democrat Congressman Dan Goldman's family. Major League Baseball, the NHL, Spotify, and a few others. A big banner reads, join a roster of passionate supporters of democracy. Partner with us. They have partnerships with major music venues and promotions companies around the country. They have supporting organizations, Democracy Works, Rock the Vote, Voto Latino, the One Campaign, the NAACP, the Fair Election Center, Black Voters Matter, the National Center for Lesbian Rights, the Ally Coalition, GLAAD, the Drug Policy Alliance, and even the U.S. Census Bureau. What in the world? And then they actually list their artists. You can go to headcount.org slash artists and see all of their touring partners. There are hundreds of major musical acts here and some comedians as well. And all of the people you would expect are part of this. Alicia Keys, Beyonce, Billie Eilish, Harry Styles, Pearl Jam, Jaden Smith, Jay-Z. Taylor Swift is not listed here, but it is still entirely possible that she did a one-off for them for national voter registration last year, but is not an official partner. I'm trying to give you a sense of how big this operation is. And this is how big the picture is for one issue and one industry. The reality is so far beyond this. And this same sort of thing is set up for every industry and every issue. So long as someone can find the funding to properly incentivize all the parties. But let's get back to the New York Times. Governor Gavin Newsom of California, a top Biden surrogate, all but begged Ms. Swift to become more involved in Mr. Biden's campaign when he spoke to reporters after a Republican primary debate in September. Taylor Swift stands tall and unique, he said. What she was able to accomplish, just getting young people activated to consider that they have a voice and that they should have a choice in the next election, I think, is profoundly powerful. Oh, yes. So well spoken, Gavin. The chatter around Miss Swift and the potential of her reaching her 279 million Instagram followers reached such intensity that the Biden team urged applicants in a job posting for a social media position not to describe their Taylor Swift strategy. The campaign had enough suggestions already. One idea that has been tossed around, a bit in jest, sending the president to a stop 
on Ms. Swift's Eras Tour. Now, assuming that you hadn't read this New York Times article, how would you perceive it if Joe Biden showed up at a Taylor Swift concert? And how would normies like the ones who write for Forbes describe that whole thing when people said, yeah, that is obviously an info op and a psyop. Joe Biden is trying to partner and co-brand with Taylor Swift so that she can help justify to the American public that somehow Joe Biden really did receive 90 or 95 or 100 million real lawful American votes. I mean, they just told us that there would be 8 million new voters this year. And they're telling us that voter registrations are just off the charts. So if you thought the electorate expanding by 27 million voters, a full 20% from 2016 to 2020 was a big impossible deal, just wait till it happens again. You have to explain it somehow. Well, what's the one explanation that everyone already understands? Ah, Taylor Swift did it. Taylor Swift is responsible for that. She's the most popular person who's ever existed in America. And she got all those young voters out there. And it's funny that she's able to do this at the exact time where the polling shows that Donald Trump is actually leading Joe Biden with voters under 35 years of age. But who needs polls when we have election results? Election results are just like polls, except real. And the rest of the article just talks about what Joe Biden's team is doing and how their strategies are coming together. But here we are being sold a social media marketing campaign as a corporate sponsored reality television show about America's sweethearts, or at least the ones we've been assigned by our corporate masters. We are going to be bludgeoned with Taylor Swift and her professional athlete America's Sweetheart love story, not so that we ourselves will change our behavior based on what Taylor Swift is doing, but so that we believe other people would do that. That is all this PSYOP is required to do. It's to convince us that Taylor Swift is so popular and so influential and so powerful in the way she is able to direct attention, that on the strength of her popularity alone, Joe Biden, the fake president, the demented old racist and pervert who is potentially the most corrupt politician in American history, could, after four years of total incompetence and disaster as the country falls apart, get even more votes than last time and conquer Donald Trump once and for all. Now, when they tell us that Joe Biden has won, there won't be any proof that that's true. And most people won't believe it at all, but some people will be certain of it. And all of those people will believe that Taylor Swift had something to do with it because we've all been unwittingly and unwillingly drawn in to this reality television show about America's sweethearts that will be said to explain everything. And none of it at any point even has to be real to effectively generate the desired outcome. Why? Because it's a military-grade psychological operation. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden 
will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon 
down on the range. It's hell!